and welcome to the Tapping Up podcast with myself, Daryl, and as always, Ian. January transfer window is finally closed. The only thing left that Chelsea haven't bought is us, although if Todd Bowley wants to put in a few million pound bid for us, I think half of us are already Londoners, aren't we, sir? Speak for yourself. Well, you technically are. Bournemouth is not London. It technically isn't. It's fucking southern. northern gobshite. You don't even know your geography, do you? Similar. Anything southern from Leeds is uh, London. You just you pause now. No, it's not throwing you off. No, just talking nonsense, aren't you? Well, As opposed to a normal, your usual, really very scripted start. Gone off court. Are we trying to I'm sorry. rushing through today, ah, because uh, you've got places to be and people to see. So, well, before we do start, then I've got uh, you like this. I've got a new name for the podcast for you. Just thinking about this. Go on. I think you'll like this in particular, given your proclivity for Disney uh, and the fact we know this from when you went away on a little trip. What about the lady in the tramp? What are you talking about? So for context, people, without we're on a tight time budget today. My missus called me a tramp, which has caused a few issues. Am I so, the lady? So you're the lady, the lady in the tramp. Perfect name for the podcast. It would have been funny if I wasn't the lady and that's I'd rather be the tramp. I thought you might have guessed it when I said you had a name for it, uh, giving you Disney <laughs> background. But yeah, Lady and the Tramp, I'm throwing it out there. I've never seen it. It's got to be the to be upset honest. that today's episode is going to be called The Lady and the Tramp, I think. I think it sounds like you want to change the name of the podcast. Never mind I was the, joking, but uh, obviously, well, better, in terms of the episode, better, Lady and the Tramp surely has got a very to be masculine episode. young man, actually. I'll have you know. I thought it was a good way. It's a double, double abuse, abusing myself whilst abusing you. I was pleased with that one. Um, <laughs> MMA. Another good one. Yeah, another good one. Um, Masvidal uh, has come out this week and shot down a request from uh, Burns for a five-round bad motherfucker belt request. He's never putting it on the line, is he? Who wants to give up, risk that title? You've got the title. He's done the belt. He's never going to put... Unless Dana comes in and says, you're forcing you to, or we're doing another one, I'd tell you now and never put it on the line. Well, Burns actually tweeted to Dana asking him to get the belt put on the line. No response. It's got to come on the line at some point. Burns is a dangerous and scary fighter. If, I mean, again, very, very subjective. He's not a bad motherfucker, though, is he? It doesn't have to be put on the line, does it? Because it's a fake belt. It's like a that stupid thing that um, Canelo and GGG got. Like the Tiger belt or something. <laughs> I totally agree, but it, the fact when they put it together of who originally fought for it in terms of Nate and Masvidal, it meant something because they are, by most people's definition of a BFM, they are that. They would take any fight, any weight. A bad fucking mother. What did I <laughs> You know what I mean. But they are, they are the... Connor would qualify for that because he takes fights whenever people want. Someone like Burns, to me, on the really subjective interpretation of um, BMF, doesn't qualify if you ask me. Well, his exact quote was, uh, if they pay me BMF money, which the UFC ain't gonna go into up it, whatever that means. Uh, so sorry, Gilbert. Um, I couldn't give a fuck less. Yeah, I already got my contract. I, I already signed my shit. I couldn't give a fuck less. Which doesn't even make sense, but I did read that. <laughs> I couldn't give a fuck less. Do you mean couldn't give a fucking care or something? But yeah. Um, but I, I'll be honest, I don't think you should. But I, I, they, they, at some point... It, you can't just be a one and done that belt. I love the idea of that floating around as a bit of a... So much so that it's still your WhatsApp. Exactly. Photo. I've never not loved seeing that belt and what those... Imagine being able to call yourself 
the bad motherfucker. There's something that comes... There's a ring to that. Well, two potential bad motherfuckers, Hill and Pereira. Could you see them fighting, light heavyweight? So this has been talked about uh, this week. I believe this is from the fact of Hill probably is a bit banged up. So there's no... We, we've talked about on one of the last episodes the possible timeline for challenges for him, which would probably be Prasca's the number one. Pereira has this week, I believe, since the last episode we did, been announced at 287 in the rematch against Adesanya. Did you see the... I think that's I sent you it, didn't I? The, the weird sore. Who them? When a fighter starts making their own trailers, I'm a little bit sceptical. And for someone who's 3-0 down across combat sports to say, we don't count scores, we settle them. I was like, well, that's what a loser says, isn't it? The, the actual quote on the um, Saw video is, you think you'll get by without being tested. Which, I mean, I feel like he has been tested. And come through it every time. Adesanya was doing well in that fight. And again, anyone who thinks this is just going to be Pereira manhandling him and knocking him out clearly hasn't watched the first fight or the other two fights. But Adesanya probably isn't going into that such a, as a huge underdog uh, uh, like he was. And the odds will be a lot closer. And not many people can deal with Alex Pereira when he turns it on. He is nasty. And I'll be honest with you, if he comes through relatively unscathed and puts out out quickly I would love to see him be champ champ step up to fight Hill at 205 and be 185 and 205 champion that was what he was just to be clear in glory they were the two weights that he simultaneously the only glory kickboxer ever to hold two weight belts simultaneously so this is not a new thing for him I'm still laughing at you attempted pronunciation of Adesanya I don't even think that were all you just went <laughs> Did I? Yeah, it's been a long week. A long week. Um, um, yeah, so it's all that. Good fight. Good, good, very good fight, but is dependent on a number of different outcomes, which is one, Prohaska's timeline, two, the result of Adesanya Pereira at 287. Uh, been a lot of talk this week about a potential agreement for the newest season of The Ultimate Fighter being McGregor on one side and Tony Ferguson on the other. Um, Michael Chandler isn't particularly keen of this to say the least. He's come out and said, I know for sure that this was definitely a tweet thrown out there to see if it gained any traction. Um, obviously, everyone knows that I would be down, me, Connor, on the Ultimate Fighter, whether it be four or six weeks, however long we'd be filming that thing, the tension, the rivalry, the competition, the trash talk, just the animosity would be built up and then to go into training camp and fight later after the show. I want that fight. Everyone knows it. Um, would you prefer to see McGregor versus Ferguson or McGregor versus Chandler on the Ultimate Fire? Firstly, Chandler just wants his red panty night. 100%. That's clearly what's going on here. He does, um, as now, again, when you ask me that question, what hat am I putting on to respond to? As a Connor fan, and, and un, I admit I love Connor far less than I used to, but in his heyday, Tony Ferguson is the far easier fight for him. He's on a bit of a slide. He's a bit of an aging warrior. Um, he likes to stand and trade. It would feel very much if the UFC will far more likely, if you ask me, give that fight to him. A bit like when they let um, Connor have Cowboy. Someone who is going to stand and let them get demolished by, by Connor. Chandler is a horrible matchup for Connor in terms of a wrestler. Cardio for days, which we know Connor gasses. I cannot see the UFC let, signing that off on a competitive basis because they want the glory that comes with Connor winning. So if you ask me, 
is Connor Ferguson all day. As a less biased and more neutral fight fan, clearly Connor Chandler is the bigger fight and a more relevant fight in the lightweight division. But there's no way Chandler gets that fight because the UFC know he's a terrible matchup. Do you think Chandler would go through him like a car hitting a bicycle? Uh, bike? Oh, God, I can't even just take it mick out of your pronunciation. Be really I can't clever say clever, aren't you? Be a little story, but um, he just lay and pray him. I think, which is Connor's weakness. He will take him down, hand him down, and pummel him pretty much like that car pummeled Connor. So we see. Um, I mean, when you you sent it to me, to be honest with you, you are my, again, my my eyes and ears on social media. It felt a bit staged, I thought, to start with. I mean, who fucking just seconds after they've been hit by a car gets their fucking phone out? And then weirdly, even more, there's a a, a photo of... Hi, it's Daryl. Just hit me on his fucking motor. <laughs> but I'm in his car. He's all right. Like, what the fuck is going on here? Talk about desperate for publicity. That was weird. Nearly as weird as the then kind of arse shot that he then posted of the damage of sort of twisting, trying to show off his abs as though he was taking some kind of weird selfie. So Get good money whole, on OnlyFans for that. It was a very weird sequence of events, but... Um, we're glad he's okay, just to be clear. Glad Connor's not really that badly uh, dinged up. And clearly, he was out of the spotlight for a day or so, so felt the need to get a bit more attention. But quite funny to see the guy, poor bloke, in the car we're driving, shitting his pants when he realised he were recording. You're right, mate. <laughs> you're right, mate. You're like, oh, you're, oh, you're right. Imagine knocking over Connor McGregor and be like, oh. Fucking hell, mate. That's why he just knocked over a professional fighter. Like, I'm going to get, get fucked back up. back in the car here. and drive off swiftly. I mean, he's probably got a nice signed something, signed bicycle helmet that's dinged up or something. I don't know. A signed bottle of Prime, maybe. Um, oh. Prime, the new official global sports drink UFC, of UFC. What are you doing? I mean, I, I, I literally felt sick to my stomach when you brought this news to my attention <laughs> of this nonsense anyway and... The attention it seems to be getting, the ridiculous prices which you've talked about with this clown and wake, wakey wines and all of that. And now it's the official drink of the UFC. Now, the UFC won't give a fuck because these clowns will have paid an exorbitant amount of money to them to be the sponsor. And on that, did you know that Prime is on pace to exceed a billion in sales by the end of this year? What? Yeah. Ridiculous. A billion, a, 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 a billion dollars, I think it is. This world is just beyond my comprehension these days. <laughs> Two fucking idiots that don't have proper jobs come up with let's make fake water and sell it in one fucking supermarket and turn over a billion pounds. It's like you're fucking winding me up. Do you know, I didn't know, do you know, know what the worst true? thing is? So not only, obviously, is this going to be the background, you think, ah, you know what, what a stupid story. I'll forget about it. it says here, um, before the event takes place at 284, so... Again, one of the biggest fights potentially in terms of uh, Volkanovski and uh, Makhayev. Um, Prime will become the presenting sponsor for the entire sort of production and for the so it'll be future all sessions. over the, the cage and the TV promotion. The vibrant branding will be seen all across all future PPVs and fight nights uh, in a deal that's said to be further reaching than the MMA's promotion with previous agreement. Uh, with body armor, 
So when, when we go down to London, you're going to see all of... KSI, stay away from 286, because I'll choke you out with a bottle of your own fucking soft drink if I see you there in your smug face. Do not want to see... So we've got to see that shit when we go down. Yeah, it's going, it's going to be all of it. It's going to be like bright green and bright orange. But apparently it's a sports drink. I still didn't know this. I thought it was just like some juice. It's apparently an energy drink, and Dana White's come out and said it's a professional athlete drink. It's full of shit that you It's full of loads of shit that you shouldn't encourage kids to drink um, in the same way that most energy drinks like Monster and all that other shit are filled with garbage and additives. But, but at least Monster's cool, isn't it? Like, I don't even want to a... talk about these cunts anymore. <laughs> um, it's a good job we're not talking about his brother later on anyway. Um, time for the bonus segment then. So, uh, bonus segment... Uh, this is something that we do uh, week in and week out to honour a fallen hero in the world of MMA um, named aptly after him, uh, Stefan Bonner, of course, in which we pick a fight, or namely Ian picks a fight. We'll go through it together. We'll give you a week's of homework to review it, and then obviously the week after we'll go through it together and uh, review the fight. This week, UFC 139, Dan Henderson, and I'll let you say his name because you love saying it, Shogun hoo-ha! <laughs> um, I think this is the first one that I'm going to disagree with the scorecards, but I know you like to be let loose on this, so I'll let you go first. What do you think overall? Because I know some of these are, there again, this one in particular is a bit of an older school one, got probably 10 or more years ago, so I would guess I might be doing your knowledge and your fight watching a disservice here, but I'm guessing you haven't seen this one before? No, not all. Uh, and these are the ones that, again, I think I like to try and maybe bring to the more casual fans that won't have seen these that are in the, the past that won't be re-shown unless you've got a, a list or something like that or someone pointing you in the direction but uh, it was a right scrap so round one um, both both quiet I thought started you, you had hoo-ha with the very um, traditional Muay Thai stance didn't he hands high knees sort of bouncing almost Henderson always as Henderson is just right hand cocked like a fucking shotgun, ready to unload it at any point. Um, catches him early uh, with 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 one of his overhand rights. Puts on a guillotine, doesn't he? And all of a sudden, Henderson is on him like a cheap suit, throwing bombs, putting up against the cage, cuts him really early, and dominates him for the rest of the round. Ten nine Henderson for me. Hundred percent. Yeah, it was a, a fairly one-sided beatdown. I think when it got into the, the last stage of the. First Didn't round. think it was ever near a ten-eight beatdown, but he no. was bloodied up. He w- it was. No one's watching that round and saying anything other than Henderson won that fight round. I'd Agreed. be surprised, even though he dropped him and he was all over him and did the far more significant damage. It was never near a ten-eight for me. No, simple ten-nine. I think. Round two, again, close round to start. They're both throwing big elbows and there was an absolutely monstrous uppercut from from Henderson. But then about a couple of minutes in, the pace slowed dramatically. And you can tell the damage, the effort from both of them, throwing with bad intentions of everything, clearly started to take its toll. 10-9 Henderson for me. Again, agreed. I think this one, um, similar to the first, in the sense that I think it was fairly comprehensive who won it. Um, round three, so feels like the corners, probably these are back in the days where they wouldn't show you the corners or what was being said, but felt like the corners had gotten Shogun's ear a bit and said, let you 2-0 down, you need to do something. So we came out by far the more aggressive uh, fighter in the first round. You could see Henderson was was, was showing, uh, was sort of slowing, was, you know, Shogun was, was was on the offensive. Next thing from nowhere, Henderson drops him again with that right hand. It's, it's literally one of the best get-out-of-jail-free weapons ever in MMA. 
hardly anyone, you know, up to heavyweight could clip people, fought down as low as middleweight. No one could take that punch. And um, Shogun's in a bit of trouble. Nice to see uh, a bit of jiu-jitsu in there. If you notice, he goes for a heel hook, so tries to catch him. Um, Henderson, very astute and collegiate wrestler. No, no, he's not playing any of that game. Pulls his foot out. He was there for a little bit. And the blood is fucking pouring from Shogun at this point. Both exhausted. 10-9 Henderson for me. Again, yeah, I had him three rounds up by this point. Round four, all of a sudden it seemed to be a ground game. So it seemed to be fought mainly in the fourth, kind of takedowns take with no one necessarily getting the better. What very rare position you see, uh, Henderson tries to put him in a crucifix. So crucifix is one of the worst positions you can possibly be in in any fight because it means the other fighter, imagine if the two bodies are like a cross, that's why it's called a crucifix. So you have your arms held by the other person laying sort of vertically and they have your arm your one arm with their arms, your other arm with their legs, and you can't do shit, and it feels horrendous, and you're so exposed, um, and uh, Shogun suddenly gets out, starts landing some bigger shots, and all of a sudden you're thinking, he has turned the tide here. Henderson is on wobbly legs, wobbling all over, trying to clinch, Shogun in full mount, dropping bombs, turns his back, Henderson, schoolboy error, particularly to a jiu-jitsu black belt, um, couldn't get the choke in, round ends, 10-9 Shogun. Yeah, so at this point I had exactly the same. So I had him three, um, Henderson up three rounds to one. Going into the last, you would think that obviously without a knockout, you're looking at Henderson win. But, and I think this is where it's going to get controversial, and I'll let you go through this, but I think we might have a difference of opinion for this last round. Uh, I don't think, I know we do, only because you told me your opinion earlier, and I haven't told you my opinion. But I'll be honest, there was the controversy that you mentioned, or will come to, generally in the fight world i'll be honest i didn't even see it uh we'll come on to why but shogun starts again like a train he's matt he's got henderson in full mount he's absolutely pouring it on he's smashing him on the ground full mount is the worst position you could be in probably worse than the crucifix because you've got the whole body of someone to rain down elbows and, and do whatever and he is really struggling um shogun is just keeping him on the ground it's pretty much pinned down for more or less the vast majority of the round I scored it, 10-9 Shogun, 48-47 to Henderson. Which I think is what all judges all scored it. All three judges scored it that way. Which, and I'll be honest, I don't think that was remotely controversial. I slightly disagree because that's what we do on this podcast. It would be very boring if I agree with everything. I think this is a 10-8 round. I think he completely dominated him and personally um, felt that this was enough to earn him the draw. And I think that obviously the controversy is... It's a little bit worse in, in boxing in that sense, but the controversy is because it wasn't a knockdown and because he wasn't on the verge of finishing him or anything like that, it was simply beating him up on the ground, essentially, and, and repeatedly moving to mount him and, and do this, that and the other. Um, and that's simply a 10-9 round. He's won the round quite comfortably, but it's nothing any any further than that. But I, I just think there was that much dominance that in the same way that boxing, you don't need a knockdown to score a 10-8. It's very rare and it's very uncommon that a fighter can completely dominate a round in boxing but doesn't score a knockdown and still gets awarded the fight or the round as a 10-8. I think this is one of those cases and I would not have been surprised having not known the winner at the end because I've never seen this fight at the end um, if this would have been awarded a, a draw because he'd have won that last round 10-8. I, I can see the argument for it. Personally, looking at the 
scoring criteria, I don't believe that's a 10-8. Look at, and you can't tell me even that, did he smash Henderson for a round? Yes. Look at the first round. Look at how much more significant the damage was that Henderson did on Shogun was more significant than the damage Shogun did on Henderson in round five. And we both are unanimous that round one was a 10-9. But I don't think that damage necessarily correlates to dominance because I think a lot of fighters in the past, and, and again, in all physical sports, some people are prone or have a tendency to be cut very, very easily and then come away with... You look at Diaz, for example. Reed, Scottish, seems, he's a perfect yeah, example. Seems to cut every single fight that he's in, and it's not necessarily that he's in trouble. It's just that that's how it is, and that's how you expect a, a Diaz fight to go. So I, I don't think you can measure by that, but like I say, I, I wouldn't have been surprised that it would have been a 10-8 round in the end. I think... I can accept that it were a 10-9 round and I can accept that overall Henderson won the fight. But what I'm saying is, if it had have been a draw at the end, I wouldn't have been at all surprised. Yeah, and as I say, I'm definitely not digging you out on this one. I could, I could see how I just think from looking at the judging criteria to me, that wasn't a 10-9. I don't think it was super controversial that it wasn't I've seen other rounds that were far more obvious in other fights where someone's got absolutely battered and put on their ass three or four times that they've given as a 10-9 rather than a 10-8 so I can't necessarily smash the judges on that and as I say if there was any justification if I would look at it for my argument on how I scored it was I matched the judges all the way across you'd, you'd have thought maybe one of them could have you know maybe a split decision win so maybe you had two 47s 40 uh and, and one one judge might have called the draw but none of them called that a 10-8 round i've always said you should be a judge i definitely should be uh, i bet mma judges don't get paid quite the uh, amount that they should because they normally get it wrong that's why um next fight next bonus segment fight have you got one picked out Yes, so I have not made the notes that I thought I had, if I'm honest, but what I was going to go for is, from memory, I believe it is UFC 248, which is, uh, we're going into the women's strawweight division here, and we're going Joanna Jacek, uh, JJ versus Whaley Zhang. So uh, we will post the link, as we always do, on socials for people to watch, but... um, that was a scrap, and I believe that was the 2020 fight of the year. So that is the next bonus segment. The transfer window, as we said earlier in the show, is now closed. Finally, these transfer windows seem to go on and on and on until the last day in which they seem to rush by very, very quickly. Um, I think January 2023 will be forever dominated by Chelsea. Everything that's happened this month has seemed to be associated with Chelsea's financial fair play issues, skirting around long-term contracts, trying to get in and out. And even in the last day, everything was seemingly dominated by two transfers, one being Enzo Fernandez and one being um, Hakim Ziyech, which... Do you or see not transfer? Yeah, I've got to say, did you see all this? You see all this nonsense? Uh, I saw. I don't get the full detail, but I saw that basically PSG are blaming Chelsea for botched paperwork because they were focusing Fuming on fuming about it. Yeah, Fernandez about Fernandez. Um, so so. A, a quick overview of it. Um, <coughs> essentially, he goes over, he gets ready to sign, um, and he gets Dan Jamesed. So he gets there. Really happy for this dream move. He's excited to be playing with Messi and playing with um, Mbappe and Neymar. Um, 
PSG send a markup of the loan agreement at 20 to 10. At 22.46, PSG call Chelsea and say, can you sign over the loan agreement, please? Nothing is sent. At 22.55, Chelsea send the incorrect document over because it's not signed. Um, obviously, PSG are, are panicking at this point. You've got Ziyech, who is ringing up Bowley directly and pleading him to hurry up, saying he's really happy here, um, and if it helps, he'll contribute personally to the financials, uh, to which Bowley, I don't know if he agreed to it or not, I wouldn't be surprised if he did. Um, everything seemed to be agreed, everything seemed to be in place. Um, PSG then, again, kick off and say, look, where's the, the paperwork? At 2 minutes to 11, Chelsea replies saying, we've already sent a, a copy over... Um, obviously they hadn't they then sent again another copy which is unsigned and then by the point that they they finally received the signed version it's past 11 o'clock it's past the deadline and they had to go to the professional football leagues uh, legal committee uh, basically alleging that Stamford Bridge side had initially sent across the incorrect paperwork and all that and other and unfortunately the LFP decided it was still not good enough, and the loan was off. like a negligence claim yeah, landing on some lawyer's uh, desk that they fucked up with the paperwork. How can um, you send unsigned paperwork twice? Not just once. I get that they're busy with Fernandez, but not just once, twice. Completely speculative and sweeping generalisation for me here. New owner involved, happens to be American, probably got himself a new law firm from America that have no previous experience of dealing with transfers in the Premier League hence the fuck up if I had to completely speculate as to maybe what was underneath that reasoning probably wrong but there you go I won't be surprised I'll be honest Um, as I said Chelsea have dominated this transfer window there's been a lot of um, other big transfers and I'm sure we'll come on to that shortly but everything seemed to be again Chelsea orientated spending big money on a lot of players um, splashed over 323 million on eight different players in January, which is more than the clubs in Italy, Germany, France, uh, and Spain combined. That is nonsensical because, again, as we've already discussed and we discussed it on the double tap, there's a very scattergun approach to this. Um, the way that they've where the fuck's UEFA? What leads me on to my very next point? Um, UEFA of obviously supposed to be involved with this because of the financial fair play regulations. Um, they're designed, obviously, to limit excessive spending, and there's also Premier League rules that put a cap on losses that a club can suffer over a three-year period. Uh, large fines or points deductions can be dished out, although you never see points deductions these days. It's normally fines, and as you've already said earlier this week, um, in the double tap, you're basically charging people more money because they've spent too much money, so it's not really going to be a big issue for them. Uh, what Chelsea have actually done, and you'll have seen this a lot in uh, the press and how they've decided to deal with it, is that all the players that they've signed, they put them on ridiculously long contracts. So Mudrick, for example, was on an eight and a half year contract. And the way that it's dealt with for accounting and FFP purposes is that you take the 80 million, uh, £88 million pound cost and you divide it over eight and a half years. So <laughs> it works out to be about £10 million a year. So that's how you get through it. However... That strategy can't be copied by rivals in the future because UEFA are now closing that loophole around stretching transfer fees over long periods of contracts. The kicker, of course, is um, that these rules won't be applied retrospectively. So the maximum you can then spread transfer fees is over a five-year period. Chelsea have been allowed to get away with it. No one else can. Loopholes. It's what 
you pay expensive lawyers to do for you is to find a new, uh, and tax accountants is to find a loophole. Um, I mean, the thing that I was interested in to push back on what you were saying is I'll be interested to see how FIFA bring this in. I think you have articulated that quite well. You can't tell someone they can't offer someone a contract for a period of time. You can't make a certain length of contract illegal. That would be against the Unfair Contract Terms Act in the UK. And I'm sure there'd be some governing uh, statute in other countries as well. What you can do is exactly what you've said, is say you can offer them a 10-year contract, but the maximum you can have that period of transfer split over is five years. So um, that would make sense because I was interested. So you can't stop someone off. If they want to offer an overly generous contract at a ridiculous sum of money for a stupid amount of years, they can do that. But yeah. that's the way they do it is they can limit how long they put the transfer fee over. And, I mean, would, would, would was anyone else even trying this before... Chelsea no. this year? No, no never I've never even it. heard of anyone accused of doing this before because I think Chelsea set the initial crazy one I'd never heard. I'd heard Man City and I'm sure Real Madrid had signed young prospects on six-year contracts. The first time the crazy length came to my attention was in the previous transfer window. They signed Fafana from Leicester on a seven-year deal. That's the longest contract I'd ever heard of at the time was seven years. And now, I think the longest is Fernandez is eight and a half. Yeah, same as Modric. So his is, I didn't know if his was eight, yeah. but eight and a half of Fernandez. I think Bad Crazy. Sheely was seven six and a half. Somewhat similar, but all working to do the exact same thing. Um, it's more frustrating, I think, to see this happen because, again, it's all scattergun approach and whether it actually works out for them or not is completely yet to be seen and hopefully it doesn't because then obviously it all comes back to bite Burley on the arse but if it doesn't work out for them they've then got people on eight year seven year contracts only to then determine that they can't get rid of these people because no one wants them or they're going to have to lose a massive amount of transfer fees and or wages in the the short term but don't disagree. The only thing you'd think, again, surely they can't be that stupid to have stuck them on, say, 200 grand a week to start with. You would fake think how football works is they would be sliding scale contracts. So let's use Fernandez. Fernandez might be different because he's a big, you know, big name, and but he might start on 100 grand a week for the first two years. That might then go to 150, then to 200 the last two years at 250 or something like that. Of course, you've got that scale there that the wages aren't crazy straight away. Two, you've obviously got a huge length of time for, to sell them and get a hopefully sizable transfer fee back as well. So there's some sense that they, by putting them on, if they're using sliding scales like that, that that protects that they're not paying out. You know, an eight-year contract at 200 grand a week is crazy because what if they're not performing? Whereas if they're exactly, scaled yeah. up, you'd think that there's some it's a mechanism to protect the investment to some degree. I'm just looking at the the net spend or the, the transfer expenditures in summer 2022. So Chelsea, obviously, at the top of net spend. Uh, they've spent 601.7 million. They've sold uh, 61 million and therefore got a net spend of about 540. Do you know who's at the bottom of the net spend FC table? Uh, what's this? Big teams across Europe or is this uh, all just leagues across the Europe? Premier League clubs. Premier League club. Of bottom of net spend... Uh, yes. Well, that must be someone in profit, I would guess, then, rather Correct. than next so they must have made money. Um, I don't know. Tell me. Uh, day guessing. Brighton. So, uh, the kings of it. Very I thought you'd have got so. that straight away. Yeah, so they've um, it's only spent £37 million and they've brought in 142 The only team that have brought in more um, 
sale um, expenditure and, and income, sorry, is 186 million, and that's Man City. But. I'm getting bored of talking about what a good team Brighton are and what a good backroom staff and scouting network they've got. I'm getting bored of it. I'll tell you what, here's one for you to talk about then. Um, Liverpool so started the transfer window quite strong with the £45 million signing of your favourite player at the moment, Cody Gakpo. Uh, rest of the window, completely quiet, quite unusually so. Is it that you're waiting for Bellingham? I hope so. Um I don't know if we can. I don't think anyone can say of any conclusive uh, nature at the moment because I think if Bellingham is as sensible as he's made out to be, and as the advice that he gets is as sensible, he's going to surely wait and see how the season pans out for us. I think if we are in Europe, I mean, Champions League looks less and less likely every week, given the teams above us performing better and us not picking up any of that slack. But if we got into the Champions League. I think I would be fairly quietly confident we get him. If we finish in ninth or something like that, out of Europe altogether, he may elect to go somewhere else. So he, I, doesn't, I he doesn't join you if you're not in Champions League. Even if you're in the Europa League, he doesn't join you. I disagree. I, th- I think he could be sweet-talked into it if he was part of a wider bit of investment. So, look, we're not just going to get you, Jude. We're going to get you another... We're going to get Calcedo to be your partner and we're going to build it round you... I think he could be sold on that myself, but I think if we, Champions League would be the clincher for me, I think it's very. I, I definitely think it happens. But if my auntie had wheels, she'd be a bike. Um, you always say stupid it, shit. Like it's, that, it's not going to happen, is it? Like, there's no chance whatsoever that Bellingham leaves a Champions League team to join Liverpool, who are in decline. You've just said anything can happen. Well, then you say there's no chance. Well, anything make your can mind happen, up. apart from that. Do you know what I mean? Wait your fucking mind up. What well, is it? Any chance it happened, or it well, won't happen. There's always a chance, from isn't there? Liverpool. Of course it can happen. So, You've got to be in Champions League. You have to be in the Champions League for him to join you. I disagree. I think if, if he could be sold on, we're going to go all out on the investment, you have one year out of the Champions League, and he could be convinced. That's how people have been convinced with Man U, and with other teams that haven't made it more recently is we'll be in it next year which is no guarantees I, I get you and I hear what you're saying but I think it's naive to say he, he 100% doesn't come if we're not in Champions League I think it's dreamland because the, the, the suggestion that you made there was that Quesadillo might be joining alongside you but that, that's how he would be million. sold to if we're not got the Champions League is you are the final piece of the, uh, the of the jigsaw these are the other pieces of the p- parts of the puzzle that we've got around you we've already got Diaz who's outstanding Nunes should be better this year and hopefully now has got some composure that he's been trained in the last year we know Mo is a fading force but we've got Gakpo who'll never come close to you know, <laughs> so, so he needs to be sold a a dream a, a dream yeah, yeah. And, and, <laughs> absolutely but I'm telling you it's it's it would definitely help, but I think it 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 could still happen. I think what will actually happen is you'll be end up with uh, ending up with Atom Miller on a permanent, who has made such a massive impact for you. I am gonna take us off topic uh, about Bellingham and say, did you see about King Kazoo? I did, um, only because we were talking about this the other day. I didn't know his nickname was King Kazoo, and. I didn't think that's how you would spell it, although having seen what his full name is, it would make sense. And his full name for the listeners is, because you said it so well earlier? Kazuyoshi Mura. Who, for everybody, is 55 and has joined a Portuguese second division team on loan from the J-League. So 
He's not a goalkeeper. He's a striker. So that is an outstanding achievement to still be playing professional football at 55. He said he wants to play until he's 60, which is fucking crazy. Uh, this shows you how old he is in terms of this. He, when I, I saw this, I was like, I've got to read a bit. Who's this guy? Never heard of him before. Looked him up. He was, he's allegedly one of Japan's most famous sports people. He was the face of the J League when it opened in 1993. Jesus. So 30 years ago. Um, and, but actually, when you looked into his stats, very impressive uh, national record of 55 goals in 89 games for Japan, which, which is, is not to be slept on. Yeah. It's over a goal a game at international level. Before Japan started getting quite good and going to World Cups and things like that, I think it would be fair to say. But congratulations to the man. I hope he can play until 60. Who were they playing then? Who were who playing? Japan, for him to rack up those stats. Ah, oh, like... The oceanic teams, you know, like, you know, New Zealand before, you know. Ah, the best ones then. All those, yeah, probably dog shit teams. But 55 and 89 is an impressive international goal scoring record. 89 caps as well. Sounds like a Tekken character. I feel like Kazuya is a Tekken character, isn't he? He says knowing full well that he is and that he is a massive geek. But but yeah, I I just thought I had to to mention uh, him. Um, There's still up for you yet then? Your football career to start. True. <laughs> it's got 15 years it's on not me. not finished yet. Boxing then. So a fight that I think we both pretty much were amazed by, to be honest. I couldn't keep my eyes off it. Uh, Bertabiev beats Anthony Yard in the eighth round to defend his light heavyweight titles. This was a ridiculously good fight. An absolutely spiteful scrap. Both ripping the body shots in both being indiscriminate with power punches to, to to each other that is you tell me a fight fan who watches that fight and doesn't come away like I want more of this that was a fight for the ages might be a little bit over dramatic but that is the best fight I have watched boxing wise in years that's one absolutely of, it's titanic genuinely one of these so obviously we do the uh, Bonner segment and a lot of the fights that we cover on that are on uh, <laughs> fights we love to see or fights that we appreciate on the UFC channel, I think it is. If there was a boxing equivalent to that, I'm telling you now, this one will be on it in a few years' time. Easily. I mean, I had everything back and forth, um, you know, yo-yo in terms of who was winning the rounds. Uh, I mean, I know, I think on the judges' scorecards, officially Yard was a couple up when it was finished. Yep. Um, I wouldn't have said it was as many as that. It was very, very close for me. But Yard, I think, did far, far better than most people expected him to. And I think you've got to take your hats off to both fighters for the fucking punishment they took. They would have been waking up sore as fuck on Sunday from that. Well, people thought that Yard were going to get spat in like the third round, I think the majority of people that you saw in terms of the predictions. Someone had um, Berta Biev to win by points, I think, one of the experts. I'm like, where would you, you get that You, from? to be fair, called it and, and got it very... I, I, I thought got it would go the later well, distance yeah. in terms of he is not a one-punch master. He's an accumulator and he, his, his damage is severe but accumulates on people to a point. Most of his finishes when he KOs people are TKOs where the ref stepped in, probably something like between 7 and 10. Well, the, the body shots, I think, were the ones. Oh. That, the body shots that both men were taking. Having taken my little Muay Thai kick from a mate not that long ago and still being a little bit dinged up, which we three weeks on Saturday since I had it, I was watching those punches with a res- level of respect and sympathy that a lot of people couldn't give. 
that they were horrendous on both sides. They were both throwing such bad body shots that they would have been so sore the next day. That was, I say, Yard's heart to carry on taking some of those body shots that he did. Incredible. If you didn't know, and he's not mentioned it that often, um, Ian went kickboxing the other week. And Muay Thai, whatever. not kickboxing. It's similar, and it? it's all the same. Kicking and moaning and grabbing your ribs and saying, ah, they're broken. Um, but yeah, it was a brilliant fight. Really, really good. Um, one of those that I actually, at the start, wasn't too bothered about who were going to win. Then close to the end, Yard, obviously, almost stole my heart. And I always I was like, oh, I'd like him to win now, but then he didn't. Um, Final thing then. So the only thing that might have sullied that night was the stare down of your favourite man, um, Jake Paul, getting in the ring. Tommy Fury, this fight's finally being announced for February 26th. Saudi Arabia, because, you know, more money. And it's been hyped up as like a, a massive fight. I think it's pay-per-view. I think it's $50 to watch this in America. Um it's a shambles, really. It, we've got different opinions on this. Obviously, I think Jake Paul's going to um, spark him. Do you think Tommy Fury is going to run through him quite easily? I think both men... I wouldn't say easily, oh, but I think Fury wins. I, just, yeah. I think both men are poor in terms of boxers. You put them up against actual boxers, and both men would get oh, sparked. Because one's a YouTuber, and one's a celebrity. Yeah. As a, I mean, technically, he's a pro boxer, Fury, to give him credit where credit's due, but... Both of them are at the lower end of the scale of pro boxers. I think we can all both agree that on that. Um, Paul has, as much as I hate him, impressed me with his dedication to training and how much he's improved over the course of his fights against spent MMA fighters. But still, there has to be some credit uh, where it's due in terms of his training and how much better he looks. Personally, I just hope it's the end of the line. Right, He's now fighting someone who is allegedly a professional boxer. Get his ass sparked out, send it back to YouTube. Did you know that he, um, Tommy Fury and his partner, wife, girlfriend, whatever, have had a baby? Did not know. Why would I know that? Why are you not you're not keeping up to date with this? This is quite it's big news, is this on social media? Fiat five hundred Twitter loves it. A fuck. Wanna see him spark him out. Don't might give him a new reason to lay out Paul based on that he's just become a father, but yeah, I had no idea about that. It's, uh, Don't keep an eye on people having kids. It's as called Bambi. Pastor. Bambi Fury. Bambi Fury. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But obviously we'll see what we're... The, the biggest frustration for me about this entire thing, the entire event, is on the undercard, there's actually a world title fight. So Badu, Jack and uh, Makuba. Uh, Makaba, sorry. He's got to be getting on a bit. Badu Jack these days, hasn't he? He used to be uh, fairly he... decent, but he must be getting on a bit now. But... 39? I was going to say he's like seasoned. You know, decent was a de- decent fighter not that long ago, but as you say, he's got to be getting on a bit, I would have thought. Makabu, the one that uh, Bellew knocked out to win his cruiserweight title. Is that the same on the spot, not too sure. I think he knocked him out at um, Goodison Park. I think it was that big event. Not too sure. <sighs> well, you need to look up your boxing knowledge and you I need don't to... Look up pretend to... <laughs> boxing cards I, so I that's not stick... a, pret- he's a big fighter big on man. a pretend card yeah, I, but... I, I stick to the pay-per-views of proper boxers clearly not what you need YouTubers. to do is do your boxing research and you need to research about Bambi Fury the new baby in the celebrity world that everyone is talking about I will not be doing that whilst I sun myself and get some sun um, so that will not do not worry I will not come back fresh with knowledge about a shit Disney named kid <laughs> right then 
Well, we'll leave it there then. Um, I will allow you to go off, swan off to Fuerteventura, enjoy your upside down pineapple, uh, have a, a lovely time, and obviously we'll, we'll see what we can do without you next week. See you later, Rob. Yeah, thanks very much for listening. Thank you.